It is such a blessing to see you here this evening, worship our awesome God, to hear you sing, be uplifted by that fellowship, and uh, I'm, I'm honored to be able to, to preach, to go into God's Word with you tonight, and uh, one of the things that, that I want to do tonight is kind of talk about supply in July. I want to go to the Bible and kind of give a, a theological reason for that too. Uh, I want to talk about youth encouragement services. I want to talk about the answer to the question, if the Mount Juliet congregation disappeared today or tomorrow, would anybody in our community notice? Would anybody notice? Uh, before we address that, just some info. Uh, you may notice the green monster out there is uh, blank. And you would think that those packets were Tickle Me Elmo's and it was Christmas time because them things were just flying off the wall. I've got about a dozen more coming and they'll be up there on Wednesday night. I've got a few things that I have to double check on them. But if you did not get a packet, do not forget we are doing two school supply drives. One is Supply in July with the, the green wall and, and the packets helping elementary kids. The second is Youth Encouragement Services or yes, we are donating backpacks to them now. Uh, Daniel Kirby has always kind of organized that and he has talked to them this year and they are short on backpacks they just always seem to be short uh, on backpacks so that's that's what we're giving them this year so uh, if you didn't get an envelope go buy four or five backpacks just uh, backpack it up you know stack them deep bring them over here throw them on the table and uh, let's make sure that we we tell our community we're a church that understands what they need and that we love them uh, one more word if you if you have one of my post-it notes a neon post-it notes that was not a packet uh, that was to let me know uh, to, to remain on the wall to let me know who took the packet and who has that particular child that's sponsoring them so if you have one you're not a villain or anything just make sure that gets turned back into me uh, I don't want you buying school supplies for a member here that signed up to buy school supplies for somebody else What I want to do is, I want to start in 1 Peter tonight. I'm going to start 1 Peter chapter 1. And I want to examine a few passages from, from Peter, from Paul. I want to then kind of think about what those passages teach us about God, what they reveal to us. We can see God in creation, and we can also see God as revealed through his inspired word. And then I want to take what we learn about God in these passages tonight, and I want to apply them to us. After all, we are to be like God. And then I want to close uh, doing just, just some visioning with you. Just I want to envision uh, something practical, uh, have a few questions, a few things that I want to dream out with you with at the end of this, and the lesson will be yours. What do you know about God? Does or how does your knowledge of God change the way you live? These are just a few of the questions that I want to deal with tonight. I want to go to 1 Peter chapter 1 and I'm going to read verses 13 through 21. 1 Peter chapter 1 verses 13 through 21, uh, 1076 in your pew Bibles. Therefore gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lust as in your ignorance. 
But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Because it is written, Be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on the Father, who without partiality judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves throughout the time of your stay here in fear, knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb, without blemish and without spot. He indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you, who through him believe in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. What can we learn about God from these verses? Well, number one, we learn that God is holy in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 15. We learn that God is impartial and that he doesn't play favorites and that he is to be feared in verse 17. We learn that God gave Jesus Christ, his son, to the world and raised him from the dead and glorified him in verses 20 through 21. And we learn that the whole reason he did all this was because he wanted us to have redemption in verse 18. But then there's something in verse 20, if you've ever noticed this, we learn something incredible. Jesus Christ was foreordained or foreknown before the foundation of the world. What does that mean? The word foreordained in this verse has a few senses. The first way it's been used in other passages is kind of, kind of not psychic, but to know about a matter before it happens. Have you ever, have you ever had a two-year-old in your care and, and just tried to watch the two-year-old and tried to keep him out of trouble? You eventually end up just kind of walking around behind them, you know, picking up the damage that they leave and then trying to predict what's going to happen. Uh, you, you just kind of have that foreordination of what's going to happen when that child gets next to the coffee table and they're, you know, they're still learning how to walk and everything. You can just see it coming to know about a matter before it happens. The second kind of a sense is to be previously acquainted with something. Uh, maybe you've met someone before or you've done a work project with someone before and you're going to go back and use that person again for another project. You have a previous knowledge of them. But the sense that First uh, Peter is using it is in this. To have in mind as part of a long-standing plan. Now let that sink in. You may think about holiness often when you think about God. You may often think of redemption when you think about God. You may often think of fear and awe and impartiality when you think about God. You may often think of Jesus Christ when you think about God. Do you ever stop to think about how long the Son has been a part of the Father's plan when you think about God? And I'm not talking about the existence of the Son. We, we know from John chapter 1, verses 1 through 14, that Jesus was there with God in the beginning, that He was the Word, and that He pre-existed, and that He's always been with God, and He's how God created the world. We know that. But in addition to the Son being there in the beginning with the Father, He was also involved in a plan from the beginning. Let's get a quick paraphrase of 1 Peter's words. All right, verse 13, we learn, do right and hope in God. Verse 14, don't act like you used to act. Verses 15 and 16, God is holy, 
act holy like God. Verse 17, God doesn't play favorites. There's no bypassing the acting holy rules, so don't try to get out of it. Verse 18, do all this because you were purchased with Christ's blood, not with money or stuff. And then in verse 20, by the way, this was the plan all along. Your salvation is not plan B. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. It's going to be located in 1038 in your pew Bibles. And this is where Paul is going to expound on this theme. Page 1038. Let's read Ephesians chapter 1 verses 3 through 10. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love. See, that's echo in 1 Peter there. Having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to Himself, according to the good pleasure of of his will to the praise of the glory of his grace by which he made us accepted in the beloved in him we have redemption through his blood the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace which he made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence having made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure which he purposed in himself that in the dispensation of the fullness of the times he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth in him. Here we learn again about God, the planner. And in verse 4, he chose us before the foundation of the world in him. In verse 5, he predestined us to adoptions as sons according to the good pleasure of his will. That's plan A talk. That is not plan B talk. If you go further in chapter 1, verses 9 and 10, in the dispensation of the fullness of the time, say that five times fast, the word dispensation here has to do with planning, not uh, the dispensations of Christianity, not to do with time eras. It's, it's really kind of talking about uh, the way we would phrase it today, administration or logistics or how to get things done in business. Uh, that's kind of the way we would phrase it. So verses 9 and 10 would carry a sense close to this. God made his mystery, Jesus Christ, known to us so that he could save us at the right planned time. And the way he carried out this plan was through Christ. Think about everything that had to happen to bring salvation to us through Christ. A promise had to be made to Abraham. It was carried down through Isaac and Jacob. Joseph brought Abraham's descendants to Egypt, and Jesus' lineage was carried on through Judah. Moses led them out of Egypt. He, he, gave, he, he delivered them into the promised land before he died. God endured his people through the period of the judges. Then he gave Israel kings. Then he sent prophets to correct the nation and the wicked kings. Then he sent them to exile. Then he brought them back. Then he came in the flesh. He lived in the flesh, and he died in the flesh. And he rose in the flesh from the grave. And according to New Testament writings and Peter and Paul, this has always been the plan. This was the way that it was supposed to be from the, from the beginning. God did not say, well, let's send the son to die if and only if we do not have a backup plan, another option by 33 AD. 
God knew all along what he would do to save us. Imagine this in, in your shoes. A company invites you to an interview and you sit down to talk with the executive and, and before the interview you're making small talk and then he, he kind of takes you to the side and he says, hey, before we begin the interview, let me, let me just say this to you. My company is going to throw you under the bus every chance that we get. We're going to ignore you and that's on a good day. We're going to hurt you physically, emotionally, and any other uh, imagine, an imaginable way we can think of. We're going to lie about you, hurt others with your good intentions and your words, and we're finally going to kill you and hurt the ones you love. And some of my employees will love doing it, and others will just do it whether they know it or not. How about that job interview? God is the one who sat through something like that and said, I know. It's the plan. That's just who he is. He can't be another way. And God limits himself for our benefit. You ever thought about that? God, you ever heard the phrase, don't put God in a box? Well, God put himself in a box. And if anybody has a right to put God in a box, I guess it's God himself. But he put himself in the limits of human flesh. And not only that, he suffered and died so that we could have salvation. Isn't that astounding to you? What's even more astounding is that that's the way he had it set from before the foundation of the world. God loves the long haul. And he's in it for the long haul. You see, we're not like that. We look evil in the face and we grow tired and we grow cynical and we grow negative and we grow weary and we lose focus. And Christ stares evil in the face and he strengthens his resolve to do something about it with his love. He has a plan. He is the plan. Adam and Eve didn't know the end game. They didn't have the plan. Abraham lost sight of the plan when he tried to create an heir for himself and didn't wait on God's time. The leaders in Israel in Jesus' day didn't have the plan from the beginning. They were running on their own plan. Our society today doesn't have a plan. And on it goes. Our world lives in one way. React. Do everything you want to do today and react to what comes your way. God lives in a way that has been established and planned from the beginning before the foundation of the world. And we don't work that way. We have to learn to do that. God has a plan. Now I want to shift. We've looked at those two verses. I want to go to Romans chapter 8. And this is a very famous verse for you. You're going to know the first one. Romans chapter 8 verse 28. 1005 in your pew Bibles. Romans 8, 28 and verse 29. And you can probably quote the first one. And we know that all things work together for good, for those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. And then there's verse 29. For whom he foreknew and also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. I guess the best way to, to paraphrase that is kind of how, if you've ever heard David Shannon say this, God saves people from something for something. God saves people from something and he saves them for something at the same time. God doesn't say, hey, you can just have a free ride. I'm going to send my son to die for you and you will have grace flowing abundantly and you don't even have to do anything after that. That's called cheap grace and that's nowhere in the Bible 
God sent his son to justify us through his death so that we could continue to be sanctified through him. Another passage you may want to look at later is Ephesians 2.10. God created us to do good works and he redeemed us to do good works. From these verses we learn something about God. We are to strive to be in the image of God. Look at verse 29 again. He also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. Christ is not an only child. That was never supposed to be the plan. Christ was to be, was to be the firstborn among many brothers who, who come up after him and sisters who come up after him and grow up into the image of Christ who is the head. That's New Testament. That's God's teaching right there. That's the plan from the beginning. So we are to be holy as God is holy. We are to be in the image of Christ. Well, if we are to be in the image of Christ, then we must, we must change. We must change the way we view ourselves. We must change the way we view our brothers and sisters in Christ. We have to change the way we view our family and our neighbors and our friends and our children and co-workers and the leaders of this nation and our enemies. How do we view them? Well, if we view them like the world, we view them just like everybody else and we're competing with them and we're trying to be better than, as long as we're not as bad as the worst person here, we're doing all right. But if we're going to change and be in the image of Christ, that means we have to look at others like Christ views others and how does he view them as souls? Souls in which we can make daily investments with the help of God according to his plan. Not according to our perception, not according to our idea of justice, not according to our idea who, of who's righteous and who's not righteous. According to God's plan. Think about it this way. The world looks at you and it has a plan. The world has a plan for you. Satan looks at you and he has a plan for you. To put it another way to build on that, my wife works at Target, as you might know, and she's an executive there. And one thing you will know about Target for certain is they are excellent in protocol and rules and planning. Excellent. They have a plan for my wife. They have two-year plans for executives. They have five-year plans for executives. I don't know if they have any past that. I'm sure other companies do too. They have backfill plans for when my, my wife leaves whatever she does now and, and shifts to another place in the company as, as they're already planning, they know who's coming in behind her. And they know who's taking the spot of that person who's coming in behind them. If it's one thing Target can do and other corporations can do, it has a plan. I would not be surprised if Satan pulled out a five-year plan with your name on it, a ten-year plan with my name on it. Satan does his homework. And Satan knows exactly where he wants us to be on his timetable. Do we have a plan when we look at other people? When we look at other people, how are we viewing them? Because if we have our own plan, we're going to look at them, we're going to say, how can I manipulate them to get what I want? How can I get them to praise me, to, to glorify me? How can I use them in some way for my family or my benefit? But if we look at them through God's plan, the long haul plan. We'll know how to care for them. 
to love them, to help them in their walk, to lead them to Christ. If we cannot plan for people in God's kingdom when we look at them any better than organizations or Satan plans for people, how are we going to lead them to Christ? If the only thing we have planned out for people when we look at them is a conversation or two or an invite or, or two, how can we do kingdom work in that person's life? The sad reality just might be that corporations and worldly entities have more plans for the souls roaming this earth than God's people do. How do you view people? On God's plan? What if we began looking at people as God sees them? And we're kind of moving into the, the envisioning section here. What if we take God's long-term planning and overlay that on our, on our perspective when we look at others throughout the day? This year at the leadership retreat, back in January, we talked about this. We talked about viewing people through God's eyes, making small daily deposits in people's lives for, the, for kingdom work. So that they would pay huge investments later. If you're in finances, you know, you know about this and how it works with money. It works even more powerfully in God's kingdom. Now, now let's think about this in Mount Juliet in our, in our community. If, if our congregation disappeared tomorrow, would anybody notice? How do we make an impact on our community? What kind of programs, what kind of things can we lead here? These are the kind of questions I have to think about as your involvement minister. How do we learn to see others in light of God's eternal purposes? And where on earth do we even begin? And through prayer and a few of the programs that we've been implementing with Supply in July and the yes, uh, thing, the yes donations that we're continuing to do again this year, it's, it's becoming clear. Now I'm going to ask some of you to stand up and I want you to listen because when you stand up I want you to stay standing up until I seat everybody. If you are a teacher in a K-12 through school or a teacher's aide or in administration or anything like that, if you work for a kindergarten through 12th grade school in some capacity, stand up right now. Go ahead and stand up. And this is not even our, our, both our Sunday morning services. Now stay standing. If you are a student in any capacity in a kindergarten through 12th grade school, stand up. If you are a parent who takes your child to school and rolls your child in school, you help them with their homework in kindergarten through 12th grade. If you're a parent of a child in school right now, stand up. Now look around at each other. All of you go out daily when school starts. And you affect hundreds, if not thousands, of people. And you live that quiet but solid and, and endearing godly life in front of people day in and day out. I don't know what would happen if Mount Juliet Church of Christ disappeared today. I don't know what people would say tomorrow. But I know this, even if they didn't say a word about us, 
as a church and what we did here, kids would miss their teachers. And parents would miss those godly teachers. And other parents and teachers that worked in the school would miss you godly parents. And they would miss your godly children that you were raising up. Go ahead and sit down. Thank you. If you want to change a community and make kingdom investments, the schools are the place to do it. And I'm talking about long-haul investing through small Christ-like deposits, deposits like school drives, youth encouragement services, but that's just the beginning. You saw all the teachers. They are our own, and they go out and live godly lives in front of hundreds of children each day. What if we made more of an intentional effort to support those teachers and administrators and janitors and guidance counselors? I had a guidance counselor in my conversations with them to set up Supply in July who said, you know, over 40% of our kids are economically disadvantaged. And a lot of times I have to keep a, just a cash drawer, a petty cash on hand to go buy a kid a shirt. Because he needs a shirt. Because he ain't got one and he's wearing the same one he's had for I don't know how long. And it hadn't been washed much. And I have to buy another kid's shoes. And some kids need a whole outfit. And this stuff comes in August. And everybody else is ready for school. Not these kids. they got to wait till September for the state to recognize they're economically disadvantaged. And she said, you know what? It would just be nice if some civic organization would run some type of ongoing clothing supply operation. School supply operation. Nothing huge, just something we could call in and say, hey, we got one child that needs this. Why can't that be the church? Why can't that be the Mount Juliet Church of Christ? Why couldn't we grow our involvement in the schools of our community to where we were a school household name, so to speak? To where they knew if they needed anything, they could go to one of our members or call the office here for tutors, for people to sit in during uh, state standard and TCAP testing and all that kind of stuff. Why couldn't we appoint three to four deacons over the next five years whose sole purpose was to reach out to the community schools and know what's going on and know what they need and support the teachers there and encourage the administration? Why not? Who's stopping us? We may not be able to go into the schools and preach and pray and read the Bible out there in public right in front of them. But we can live godly lives. And the last time I checked in the first century church, they didn't spread the gospel through the Bible studies. They didn't have the Bible yet. They were still listening to Peter and Paul and reading their letters individually. They spread the word through godly conduct. Why can't we do that today and continue to do it? The involvement ministry at Mount Juliet here We'll be thinking through these kinds of questions over the rest of the 2013 year. And if you have ever felt like this is what you needed to do as far as outreach or a ministry or a work of some kind, or you've not yet become involved in some major work and you feel like you've done a lot of small projects, but you're ready to step up and take on something and help be a part of something that's bigger, I'm asking you now to come talk to me. I'm begging you now to come talk to me. I want to pray about it. I want to talk about it. I want to dream about it with you. I want to see more of us together talking about that kind of thing. I want to see us making small investments 
in people's lives for the sake of the kingdom that turn out to be huge down the road. God is a God who loves the long haul. We are to be like Him. What opportunities do we have here to do that? If you don't know God, you've not been baptized into Christ, you've not obeyed the gospel, you've not read the word, you're missing out. And if you want to do that, you have opportunity here tonight. 20 plus people have done it here in such a short amount of time and other people are being added around the world. If you want to join God's kingdom through obedience to the gospel, you have a chance to do that tonight. If you have wandered away, if you have just become indifferent, if you are struggling with something and we can pray for you, whatever kind of needs you have, we want to be there to help you spiritually because we love you and we want to love you like God loves you. If there's anything that you need,